Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters and everybody in between. Yeah, and uh, I hope you all had a really lovely Halloween last week. We certainly did uh, enjoy watching the Halloween special back. It was good, wasn't it? It was. Um, it was. Uh, I, I was very surprised how well I came out on camera. I did my hair specially. So, <laughs> well, your hair looked really lovely. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yours too. Um, so, yes, if you if you're not aware, the Halloween special there are two versions of it. There's the podcast version, which is the audio only one, wherever you get your pods. And the other one, which is now um, on YouTube, it was originally on Patreons, but it's moved on to YouTube. Um, slightly different. Some of it's the same, some of it's slightly different. So if you want to check out the video version and you haven't checked out the audio version, do that or vice versa. If you've had the audio, not seen the video, go to our YouTube channel and check that out as well. And our very lovely Patreons at patreon.com forward slash Pod. Uh, got it first because they did help us pay for it we yes. couldn't have done it without them yeah there thank you very much and a big thank you um to the film crew and everybody who helped out and james from the lawmen who came on trudy nicola tim everybody it was such a big effort it's quite funny ben um i got a email from the guys who were doing the video <laughs> who just put the words in i think this video is haunted the footage is haunted, they said to us, because um, we did quite a lot of shooting around the Swan with the main camera. All of that was corrupted. They had real problems when they were grading the video, which they said they'd never had before. So they're because they're, they're not paranormal people necessarily. They kind of do other projects. So they were a bit freaked out and a bit kind of what the hell is going on with all this footage because there was some spooky stuff for them well hopefully with the help of Trudy nothing followed us home but keep an eye on that SD card in the uh, yes. in, in the device over there yeah. yeah if this episode doesn't record you know why it, well you won't be listening to it so it really doesn't matter <laughs> that's the most existential thing you've ever yeah, seen it really is here, yeah, yeah. Um, so but this week I've been thinking a lot about space have you? Yeah, I mean, not the kind of feng shui type. It's not. I haven't been decluttering or anything like that. Um, or the, the sitcom. Or the sitcom. Yeah, we 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 could launch separate TikTok channels for that kind of thing. Now, I've been thinking about outer space and how our relationship with it has changed over the years. So, if you think about it, in the early days, it was unmanned probes, wasn't it, into the orbit, the moon, or Venus, and for humans exploring space it kind of then started to happen with the apollo missions and space station i guess people up there for kind of longer periods of time yeah yeah then there's then in my mind we kind of moved to the voyager missions um unmanned missions to explore our solar system and beyond and then a bit of a shift into advanced telescopes like the hubble and the james webb telescope yes. more recently yes Humans getting out there and exploring space, especially after the end of the Apollo missions and the space shuttle disaster, kind of took a back seat, didn't it, in favour of these advanced probes and telescopes? Yeah, it was quite... It's sort of disappointing, wasn't it? Because we sort of grew up, grew up with... Um, I remember our whole class watched the Challenger take off. That's right, yeah. Oh, yes, the, the fated Challenger one. 
Uh, well, the one when it was okay, actually, okay. the Fated Challenger. We weren't watching. Was it? Was it Challenger? Was it first one? Maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe it was the Columbia, something like that. But whatever the first one was to go up, the whole school um, was was went into the hall, and we had what passed for a big television in those days. Yeah, but I, I mean, in a way, that those kind of missions probably explains why we did move to more of you know not putting humans in space because makes logical sense doesn't it Um, unmanned missions far less dangerous i guess arguably more useful in terms of what you can learn about space and the solar system yeah i could imagine after you've lost some people i mean i know manned missions carried on to the space station but um getting money through congress or wherever you you know whichever parliament you have to be uh, using whichever country it's harder if you've lost some people i think yeah and I, i think you highlighted you know that that vision of you and the rest of your classmates sitting around watching the launches, that's the downside of that move to unmanned missions because there's nothing quite captures the public interest than humans travelling into space, is there? No, no. But then I started thinking, Ben, the tide seems to be turning back to the idea of humans exploring the galaxy or at least our solar system. China plans to land astronauts on the moon by 2030. India is planning to set up a new space station by 2035 and also plans to land the first Indian on the moon by 2040. NASA is looking to take advantage of a rare planetary alignment to send the first crewed mission. Crewed. Yeah, it's right. It just yeah, sounds yeah. weird. <laughs> oh, it's a very crude mission. There's a potty mouth astronaut. Yeah. Yes, the cr- a, f- a crewed mission to orbit Mars in 2033. And I didn't realise this. On the way back, they're going to orbit Venus as well. Are they? Yeah, apparently. Good Lord, I had no idea. And all that is not to mention the developments and growth in space tourism. So if you've got spare half a million dollars lying around, pretty much anyone listening to this podcast could book a trip into space. Yeah. Not that we have <laughs> spare half a million. <laughs> I wouldn't go either. I'm terrible no, with flying. I, yeah, I wouldn't go either. I mean, it feels like humans are falling back in love with space exploration. Yeah. And one thing that seems to go hand in hand with sending humans into space is encountering aliens. Or at least coming across things that astronauts can't explain. Well, yeah, or um, at least the hope that uh, the hope that they do. Yeah. Well, I want to boldly go where no quantum mechanic has gone before. <laughs> <laughs> that was such. A- that was such a disappointing reaction. Uh, listeners, this is going to cause Peter a terrible job for editing, but uh, just to excuse myself, I'm still suffering from um, this COVID thing. So if I do cough and splatter, we can't take it all out. I'm sorry, I'll try and do it off mic. But uh, it, it's, it's a bugger, this, this, this bug. Well, <laughs> yes, I just delivered the line... I want to boldly go where no quantum mechanic has gone before, which was followed by Ben going, (laughs) (laughs) I hope COVID knows. I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, I I am theoretically excited about it. If if just not realistically. (laughs) No, I mean, I am excited. I think the thing that 
worries me about it all, but it's inescapable, is the political nature of it all. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a reason why China are going up there. There's a reason why America have decided to go for Mars, and some of it's for science, but it's not all for science, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, we're not going to touch on much of that today. No, no. We're going to look at some of the strange potential alien encounters that have been experienced by astronauts. Well, I only know of one, and even that I I can't find any firm evidence for, so I'm very much looking forward to this because I am sure that more has happened than they're letting on. Yes, well, we'll get onto that a little bit in a minute. And, and another theme I'll get onto, and just bear it in mind, because I do think it's relevant... I just kept thinking while I was putting this together that astronauts are some of the most highly trained and resilient people on the planet, right? Yeah. Why don't we start with NASA astronaut Story Musgrave? What a great name that is. It's a great name, isn't it? It's an astronaut name, isn't it? It is. You could also reverse it. You could be Musgrave Story. They They both work. That would have been a better link, wouldn't it? I've got Musgrove's story. From, no, it wouldn't have been. <laughs> <laughs> story Musgrove was born in 1935 in Boston. After serving in the US Marine Corps, Musgrave went on to shine in academia. This is incredible. Gaining multiple degrees, including mathematics, chemistry, literature, physiology, and a med- medical degree from Columbia University. They were just some of his academic achievements. Well, no wonder he became an astronaut. I mean, he's like a human Swiss army knife. Yeah, he really up is. There. He could do anything. Well, unsurprisingly, in 1967, he was recruited by NASA as a scientific astronaut for future missions. Oh, right. Makes sense, right? Sure. Now, this is interesting, because this is a, a, a bit, maybe a, the one that you watched. He first went into space in 1983 for the maiden flight of the Challenger space shuttle. Challenger, yes, okay. So you probably watched him go up. Yeah, yeah. 1983, that would be right, yeah. Yeah, I was eight, yeah. So multiple missions into space followed. Among highlights was a mission in December of 1993 where he led the crew in a successful mission to repair the Hubble Space Telescope. I kind of remember that. Because mm, it, it was like there was something, wasn't it? And it was like there was a big fear the thing wasn't going to be able to work and there was a lot of celebration when it got fixed. Yes. Yeah. God, that was... I remember the um, there was a sort of collective disappointment. We've launched this telescope, but it doesn't work. I can't remember the story, but wasn't it something really simple, like a something had been put on the wrong way round? It was something like that. It was something to do with the lens or the mirror. Yeah, something. It had to be realigned or, yeah. Well, apart from his illustrious career as an astronaut, if you Google story Musgrave, you'll come across another rather strange story. So here is an example of what you find if you Google. When NASA astronaut story Musgrave was in space... He claims to have seen eel-like tubes with their own propulsion system. Apparently he saw these creatures twice. While most shrug it off as space junk, Musgrave stood by his statement. No way. So he actually thinks they, they were animals. Well, Musgrave talked about this himself in an interview for the TV series Sightings in 1995. He said, On two of my missions, and I still don't have an answer... Um, I have seen a snake out there, six, seven, eight feet long. The more you fly in space, 
the more you see an incredible amount of things out there. And that sort of brings to you really a certainty that other living creatures are out there. Gosh, okay. Now... Now, mm. yes. So the implication is that Story Musgrove saw an alien snake-like creature while in space. Yeah, and somebody will say it's a piece of debris. Well, the the snake kind of... If you, if you Google it, you get those stories in the context that I've just delivered it. But is that what he really was saying? In an interview that Musgrave gave to Omni magazine, doesn't seem as straightforward, Ben. He said, On two flights, I've seen and photographed what I call the snake, like a seven-foot eel swimming out there. It may be an uncritical rubber seal from the main engines. In zero-g, it's totally free to manoeuvre, and it has its own internal waves like it's swimming. All this debris is white, reflecting sunlight, or you don't see it. Cruising along with you at your velocity, it's still got its own rotation. At zero-g, things have an incredible freedom. It's an extraordinary ballet. He was being a little mischievous then, in the first... Yeah, well, he he does seem a bit... He was then asked, could there be spaceships in our galaxy? He said, sure, I think there's spaceflight going on in our 100 billion stars, and if they were in our solar system, they'd be contacting us. However, he went on to say, I believe the government has told me all there is to know about classified things, and I do not believe there is any information relating to UFOs that they're keeping from us. Mm-hmm. OK. Um, so I guess you're left with two conclusions, aren't you? Either Musgrave did see an alien space snake and has retracted or <laughs> changed his view and kept it secret. Listen, Musgrove, there's no snakes. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> or I just wonder whether his poetic description of the space debris looking like snake has been taken out of context. And he's maybe played along with that. Uh, I think bit. he must have played along with it because he knows what people are going to make out of that. Particularly, as I think you said, he said they were self-propelled. Yes, exactly. Well... I mean, I think he was probably playing with us. Yep. And so the other thing that I would also say is, yes, perhaps the people that speak to him have said all that they know. But, you know, just just to be fair and balanced in this, if one was to go the other end of the scale with Bob Lazar, yep. he always says it's so siloed that even the people around him don't know what he knows and only a select few above him so you probably there's a game of tetris to get to anybody who might for example have experienced a crashed ufo yeah to be able to speak to story now that doesn't you know it's probably either one is completely probable we don't know but it's a shame it wasn't a real snake is all i'm saying yeah but it's funny actually i'm just reading back his quote it's a little um, um opaque in itself I believe the government has told me all there is to know about classified things. I do not believe there is any information relating to UFOs that they are keeping from us. Now, that could be astronauts. It doesn't necessarily mean the public. Yeah, that's true. And I would imagine that the places... The, the briefings to astronauts don't include, oh, we've got a recovered spacecraft or anything. But then, you know... 
why would we be having all of these congressional hearings Mm. if things were known? Unless, of course, what they're trying to do is break through barriers of secrecy. But I suspect being a jolly intelligent man, he knows that he can make playful comments and people, you know, people in the know will give him a wry smile and the press will elevate his status by saying there are snakes alive. I might do the same sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I totally get um, that things... I guess what he's actually really saying is that in space things look a bit weird and you can re- you can interpret them in so many different ways if you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah, I bet NASA were like, he said what? <laughs> he saw a snake? <laughs> <laughs> Musgrave, get out of there. Change your story. Oh. That is a... Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, let's move on to another astronaut. Uh, Leroy Gordon Cooper Jr., also known as Gordy. Now, I'd, oh, I have heard of him. Yeah. Now, also, uh, if anyone has seen the fictional TV series for All Mankind, which kind of reimagines the space race if things had been different, i.e. Russia had landed on the moon first and their first person to walk on the moon was a Russian. Um, they've got a character in that called Gordo. A homage. A homage. But the real Gordo was born in Oklahoma in 1927, joined the US Marine Corps in 1945, becoming a fighter pilot, then became a flight test pilot after World War II. In 1959, he was selected in the first group of astronauts for the NASA Mercury program. 1965, command pilot for Gemini 5, backup pilot for Apollo 10. This bit I love. He listed, he listed his hobbies as racing... Flying, skiing, boating, archaeology, and treasure hunting. <laughs> I thought you were going to say fish keeping or something. <laughs> well, the treasure hunting bit is relevant because apparently during his mission on Mercury 9, he claimed he used secret telescope technology to search for hidden Soviet nuclear bases. But he also claimed that in his downtime on the mission, he used the same secret technology to search for locations that might have buried treasure such as gold. Genius. Genius. (laughs) Claiming he made a secret space treasure map of potential sites. I like him. Now, sceptics claim that no such technology existed at the time and that it was a tall tale put about by Cooper to help sales of his autobiography, which was called A Leap of Faith, An Astronaut's Journey into the Unknown. Mm. Good title. The interesting thing about Cooper is he went on to become a vocal advocate for the existence of UFOs. Oh, did he? He told a panel of the United Nations in 1985, I believe that these extraterrestrial vehicles and their crew are visiting this planet from other planets, which obviously are a little more technologically advanced than we are on Earth. I feel that we need to have a top-level coordinated program to scientifically collect and analyse data from all over the Earth concerning any type of encounter and to determine how best to interface with these visitors in a friendly fashion. For many years, I have lived with a secret, in a secrecy imposed on all specialists and astronauts. I can now reveal that every day in the USA... 
Our radar instruments capture objects of form and composition unknown to us. So that's all... Well, that's completely odds with what Story said. Yes. Now, this... And the other thing I was thinking with... You know, people write him off, Cooper, as, you know, he's just making it up and he's gone a bit crazy. But actually, that was 1985 he said that. I mean, if you think about... um, If you think about what has been going on with whistleblowers quite recently, Mm -hmm. those comments don't seem so weird now, do they? No. Well, sadly, Cooper died in 2004, age 77... Yeah, and at the time when he made these claims, he was ridiculed. Uh, well, I sort of can see why, and maybe some of that ridicule was, uh, you know, orchestrated. Yeah, yeah. Quite a bold statement, though, isn't it? It's a hugely bold statement. But again, I suppose it's what we hear in modern times. A UFO doesn't mean aliens. Yeah, true. But I think he was making the alien connection. Yeah, yeah. It's not just NASA astronauts that have encountered strange things in space. Our next story involves Russian cosmonaut Major General Vladimir Kovalyonok. Again, I practised this earlier. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as we sit down in front of a mic, I'll do it again. Major General Vladimir Kovalyonok. That's good. That's all right. He was born in Belarus in 1942. He joined the Soviet space programme in 1967. On one of his five missions, he set a new record for spending 139 days in space. Credible. Yeah. In an interview, Kova Yonok revealed his own strange encounter with a potential alien craft in space. He said... Many cosmonauts have seen phenomena which are far beyond the experience of Earthmen. For ten years I never spoke of such things. The encounter you asked me about happened on May 5th, 1981, at about 6pm, during the Soyuz mission. At that time we were over the area of South Africa, moving towards the area of the Indian Ocean. I I just made some gymnastic exercises. (laughs) when I saw in front of me, through a porthole, an object which I could not explain. I mean, this wait to hear this description. It's impossible to determine distance in space. A small object can appear large and far away and the other way round. Sometime a cloud of dust appears like a strange object. Anyway, I saw this object and then something happened I could not explain. Something impossible according to the laws of physics. The object had this shape, elliptical, and flew with us. From a frontal view, it looked like it would rotate in flight direction. It only flew straight, but then a kind of explosion happened, very beautiful to watch, of golden light. This was the first part. Then one or two seconds later, a second explosion followed somewhere else, and two spheres appeared golden and very beautiful. After this explosion, I just saw white smoke, then a cloud-like sphere. Before we entered the darkness, we flew through the Terminator, the twilight zone between day and night. We flew eastwards, and when we entered the darkness of the Earth's shadow, I couldn't see them any longer. The two spheres never returned. 
That's weird. And that doesn't sound like space debris. Not with the explosion and the kind no. of golden golden spheres. What a thing to see. Yeah. Um, that almost sounds... Well, yeah, he's po- kind of poetic in the way that he was talking about it there. Yeah. So it had a profound effect. Definitely. But, uh, but kind of like Musgrave's space snakes, sceptics have concluded that cosmonaut Kovayonok saw space debris and just interpret it as something alien in origin. I've read various interviews where this cosmonaut sticks by his story, not necessarily claiming it was alien, but certainly for him, something strange and unexplained. Yeah, he's arguing against it being space debris. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it could be it could be the machinations of another country, but it'd be hard to understand what the purpose of it would be. Yeah. Although, you know, obviously uh, that would be, <laughs> by his nature, that would be true. But, yeah, though, that's really interesting. What what year did he see that? Was, in, was that in the 70s, did you say? Uh, that was... So he the, this encounter happened on May the 5th, 1981. 1981, OK. So, there's you know, there's a lot less up there than there is now. But also we're in the middle of the Cold War, so it's going to be interpreted locally, really. Yes, so you're right. It could be some secret kind of American technology keeping an eye on them. You just don't know, do you? No, but but it would it because of the um, the Cold War. It would limit the exposure to that message as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sticking with Russian cosmonauts, let's look at Musa Manarov, born in 1951, first selected as a cosmonaut in 1978. This is incredible. In total, he spent 541 days in space, including over 20 hours of spacewalks. That's that's a heck of a lot. That's almost nearly a day's walking. It is, yeah. Wow. I don't know why they call them spacewalks. It's more floating, isn't it? Yeah, or space terror. As I mean, oh. the the idea of doing that, particularly untethered ones. Yeah, because if you go, you're going to go forever, right? Terrifying. I don't know if you've ever seen the um, Neil Armstrong movie. The start of that is just incredible about him not doing a a space flight, but in the upper atmosphere and slightly losing control and kind of heading out space and then coming over the radio and saying, if you don't do something, you're just going to shoot out of the planet and you're going to die. No, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's really, yeah. Don't don't watch it, Ben. Don't watch it. I don't think I will. Well, um... When Manorov, in 1991, was aboard the Mir space station, he not only saw a UFO, but he filmed it. Okay. The object was cylindrical in shape and appeared to be changing its rotation in an unnatural way. Now, if you search YouTube with the keywords Manorov and UFO, you'll come across the video. There are some fake versions out there. So if the video looks like it's something from 2001, A Space Odyssey, you've probably come across one of the fakes. Sure. Well, Ben, interestingly, this incident pops up in the CIA archives, which we've been delving into recently. Oh, does it? Is it it's recorded? Yeah, well, yes, it is. It's within a document about the encounter, which was made public in 2010. The CIA document is a transcript of a meeting that happens so it's kind of minutes from a meeting and it manages to be both sarcastic and sexist at the same time oh how wonderful (laughs) 
because the mission included one of the first women in space. So I'll read some of, some of the extracts from it. The title of the document is Strange Object Filmed Floating Around Mir Station. So they start talking about the female British astronaut on the mission. Um, one participant in the meeting says, Helen Sharman's first impressions are, the feeling of space is lovely, the food is strange but very tasty. They go on to say, our British colleagues were very pleased to hear this, but the real problems lie outside the station. The point is that yesterday evening during the late communication session, a strange object was filmed. You can see it now. They are the very centre of the screen, so they're showing the video from the Mir station and there's this luminous object floating around it. If it were a UFO, it would be not too bad, but Musa Kanarov, who was filming the craft during the docking with the station, has fueled doubts by saying that he saw the object come off the craft. So the, they're saying that um, Kanarov said it had come off the craft that was docking with the space station. Oh, I see, OK. Of course, there is nothing cheerful about the fact that an object of quite considerable size is flying around the station. Even so... Even if it's not part of the Soyuz transport craft. Here comes the sarcastic sexist bit, Ben. Meanwhile, let me remind you that Helen Sharman is the first woman aboard the Mir station. Something to make seamen envious. <coughs> My life. But jokes apart, it is not clear what the object accompanying the station is. Another person interjects. We will wait for further reports. This is very interesting, but also a fairly alarming development. So, um, it could be real, it could be fake. I mean, the documents, I mean, it could be a misleading. Yes, I, I mean, it re when you read it, it does read like minutes of a meeting from that time. So right. I think it is a true account, whether they are relaying what happened accurately again if you search the incident um on the internet it does kind of suggest that the cosmonaut believed it to be a ufo but in that um cia report they're almost suggesting that he thinks it came off the craft that was docking i see okay so do they suggest they're going to do a follow-up or do they just they just leave it at that right okay i tell you what got me though you know sexist attitudes apart I read the gist of the CIA meeting to be that it's likely the cosmonaut filmed something that had fallen, fallen off the docking craft. But what I was struck with was that the joking seemed to be about a woman in on the space station, but the idea that it might have been a UFO seemed not to be met with such ridicule. Yeah, OK. The, the line, if it were a UFO, it would not be too bad. Hmm. Now, that could be playing down that, you know, debris hitting the space station would be more dangerous than yeah. that. You know, I acknowledge that. So maybe I'm reading too much into it. But it did strike me as, OK, they're joking about this woman, but they're not joking about the guy saying it could have been a UFO. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> that is interesting, yes. Well, our next story involves a Chinese Taikonaut. I didn't know. Is that what they well, that is a new word I've learnt researching this episode, a taikonaut. His name was Young Liwei. He was born in 1965, 
former military pilot and major general. Li Wei became the first person sent into space by the Chinese space programme in 2003. Now, Li Wei's strange encounter in space sounds more like the work of a poltergeist, Ben, than an extraterrestrial being. Go on. On his first mission, Li Wei reported a strange knocking sound coming from his spacecraft, something that was also heard on other missions. He described it as, I love the way he does it, it was a non-casual situation I have met in space. It's a knock that appeared from time to time. Weird, okay. It neither came from outside nor inside the spaceship, but sounded like someone is knocking the body of the spaceship, just as knocking an iron bucket with a wooden hammer. But could that look just be expansion or Ooh. air escaping? Or? You might be on something with air. Leeway said he tried to look out the pool hole to see what was causing the strange sound, but could see nothing. The same sound was heard by other Taikonauts in 2005 and 2008. I think you're on something, Ben. Well, because in, in 2016, while speaking to students at a school event, Lee Wai now believes he solved the mystery of this supernatural sound. Not extraterrestrial or a poltergeist, Lee Wai now believes the strange banging noises were the result of hot air. Oh, <laughs> saying he believed it was caused by decreasing air pressure causing changes to the structure of the spacecraft. Ah, uh, right, yeah. His theory is also supported by space scientist Luai Hong, who said that the sound was likely caused by tiny deformations in the space capsule's inner wall materials due to the change in pressure, which would explain his description of it was neither outside nor inside because it wasn't it was it was in the mm. in the body of the the between the two basically right yeah but I, I again ben i just thought theme that we're kind of developing here whether it was changing air pressure or something more fantastical what a terrifying experience where you're stuck in a tin can in the void of space you hear this bagging sound right? completely yeah yeah now, so far, I've not really mentioned the Apollo missions to the moon, partly because conspiracies regarding the Apollo program, oh, they've been done to death, haven't they? Yeah, they have, yeah. You know, since we first stepped on the moon, they've been happening. Secondly, if you take Neil Armstrong as an example, in his rare public interviews, he comes across as serious, almost stoic, I find, sometimes. Mm -hmm, yeah. But apparently, behind the scenes, he was a bit of a joker, right? He was kind of funny. yeah. So in my opinion, many of the strange comments and situations that involve the Apollo program uh, are probably down to astronauts joking around, especially those that regard regard to alien encounters. Santa Claus does exist and all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm coming yeah. on to Santa Claus, oh, okay, actually. Sorry. But yeah, no, it's fine. No, exactly, that's the point. Um, I'm not saying that there weren't strange encounters surrounding the Apollo missions, but does make it hard to separate the fact from the conjecture it's a bit like um musgrave and the space snake isn't it you know this guy says something about a space snake in my opinion just flowery language for something weird bit of debris that he saw but everybody jumps on it right, right like, yeah. he saw an alien snake in space the apollo missions are a bit like that i mean i don't want to go into detail but a summary of some of the strange rumors that surround the apollo mission I guess the biggest one is that we didn't go to the moon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And I know many conspiracies talk about that. For me, I don't know if you agree, the greatest piece of evidence that we did set foot on the moon was Buzz Aldrin punching the conspiracy <laughs> yes, filmmaker, yes, yes. Burt Sibrel, in 2002, <laughs> for suggesting that Buzz was, you know, part of faking the moon landing. That was not the reaction of a man who was guilty, was it, No, Buzz? no. The other one that is, is gets quite, quite a lot of credibility is about the Van Allen belts, which is an area of radioactive space around our planet that some would say would have killed the Apollo astronauts if they'd gone through it. Yeah, the the astronauts did receive higher levels of radiations, but I think the calculation is it's kind of just a bit worse than having an X-ray, not enough to kill them. Right. Even the guy who the things are named after, James Van Allen, the scientist, he dismissed this conspiracy as entertaining nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) I like entertaining nonsense. Yeah, I mean, come on, we're going to do it again and you can't, you know, we're not going to support the Chinese in uh, pretending they're doing it. So the Van Allen belt thing can't be real. Yeah. Buzz Aldrin, um, now I know he's been credited saying that UFOs were watching them on the moon. Again, it could be, you know, a bit of a joke or it could be partly true. You know, I've read some bits that um, Aldrin described that it possibly could have been Russian craft observing what the American astronauts were up to or, you know, some other enemy earthly bound force that was keeping an eye on them. It's probably one of the better candidates of something weird, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get on to Santa Claus. You mentioned it, and much has been made about that was Apollo 8. In a communication, the astronaut says, please be informed there is a Santa Claus. Now, some conspiracies claim that Santa Claus was a secret NASA code for extraterrestrial beings. Yes. The truth was... The mission took place in late December. <laughs> you can see why. Yeah. And there was some doubt about whether they would uh, make it to the moon. I don't think they landed. I think they just went round. But there was a problem and they were going to abort the mission. So it looks likely the comments were made in relation to the astronauts getting the green light to continue the mission. I guess it was a great Christmas present for them. Yeah. Santa Claus does exist. Oh, we're, I see. We're so going like to the moon. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense, yes. So when I started this episode, Ben, I thought I would come across a number of strange alien encounters that astronauts had experienced in space, but much of what I came across could have more logical explanations, um, although some of them are slightly weird. I was also struck by the stresses and strains of being an astronaut. When you think about it, you know, you've got this intensive training. Just going around that hydro, what they call it, that thing that spins the... Um, oh. I don't know what it's called, but I know what you You know mean. what I mean? When yes. you pass out, it's like, wow. And then you're strapped on top of basically a giant bomb. <laughs> yeah, totally. And thrust out of the atmosphere at great speed. And then you're left trapped in a small tin can. You know, it's barely just designed to accomplish a mission and just about keep you alive in one of the most hazardous environments possible. Yeah, yeah. If you look out the small porthole, everything about the environment is strange, the way things move, the way the light reflects, the sound or lack of it. You know, it's what a weird thing on your senses all that must be. Completely. You know, apart from being in zero G. And then when you come back to Earth... 
the craft is doing all it can to prevent you turning into a giant fireball, right? <laughs> yes. Then you pretty much crash into the ocean or on land right. if you're yeah. a cosmonaut. Yeah, yeah. And then you have to be debriefed and presumably put into isolation or whatever. Yeah. yeah. D- d- you know, that's not even including the effects that it's had on your body while you've been in space. So to me, it's no surprise that while in that environment, you can see why astronauts see things that they can't understand or explain. Yes. What I found much more interesting than the stories is the astronauts' views and insights into the UFO phenomena. Um, And what I thought about it, Ben, was these people are highly trained and vetted, right? Secrecy and discretion is a central part of that vetting process. Yet some of these astronauts became leading lights in the ufology movement. Mm -hmm. People like Leroy Gordon Cooper, who we mentioned... And the last astronaut I want to talk about today, astronaut Edgar Mitchell. Ah, yes. Yes, quite synonymous with that movement now. Yes, indeed. So he was born in 1930, Bachelor of Science, joined the US Navy in 1952, became a test pilot. They all became test pilots, didn't they? That is the route. Yeah. Um, Was selected by NASA as part of the fifth astronaut group in 1966. Worked in the simulator to help save Apollo 13. Wow, I didn't know that. Set foot on the moon as part of Apollo 14 and definitely helped save that mission by doing some incredible computer coding um, as they were going to land on the moon, quite famously. Yeah, yeah. After his NASA career, he became one of the leading lights in ufology. I I did a lot of research about him Um And again, you come back to this thing of some of it's completely biased in favour, some of it's completely biased against. Do you know what I mean? It's really hard. Yes. So I I ended up, I want to read an article um, that was written just after Mitchell's death by military.com. So (laughs) not known as a pro-UFology kind of you know publication no that's very middle of the road but i'm very well informed yes so the article was by blake stillwell who writes only 12 people can say for sure what the earth looks like from the lunar surface but only one of them is on record as believing aliens averted a nuclear war a nuclear war between the united states and the soviet union and helped keep humans from destroying themselves Astronaut Edgar Mitchell is best known for typing in 80 lines of code to save the the entire Apollo 14 mission as it descended to the moon in 1971. But he also claimed that top military officials had hidden evidence of UFOs, potentially alien spacecraft, and what they were particularly fond of, hovering over White Sands testing range in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Yes. Growing up in New Mexico had given him a unique insight to the area. He told the UK Mirror in 2015, White Sands was a testing ground for atomic weapons, and that's what the extraterrestrials were interested in. They wanted to know about our military capabilities. My own experience talking to people made it clear the ETs had been attempting to keep us from going to war and help create peace on Earth. Mitchell also told the Mirror that other military personnel had confirmed to him that alien spacecrafts were responsible for disabling nuclear missiles and for shooting them down over the Pacific Ocean. 
He started talking publicly about his less mainstream beliefs in 1973, just two years after landing on the moon, when he abruptly left NASA, divorced his wife, and founded the Institute for Noetic Sciences. He used that as a platform to discuss exploring new worlds in ways separate from known science or religion. He came, became convinced that extraterrestrial life had been visiting Earth and helping humanity along a more spiritual path. Mitchell began to form his metaphysical and extraterrestrial beliefs during his training as an aviator, but he wasn't known as a kook or prone to making wild statements. He was one of the US military's most able and brilliant pilots. NASA would recognise this potential as well, giving Mitchell the chance to live the dream he'd had since President John F. Kennedy challenged the United States to land a man on the moon. When Kennedy announced the space program's goals to reach the moon in 1961, Mitchell was ready to go. He said, That's what I wanted, because it was the bear going over the mountain to see what he could see and what you could learn. He said, I've been devoted to that, to exploration, education and discovery since my earliest years, and that's what's kept me going. Mitchell spent most of his adult life in the US Navy. He was a naval aviator before attending the Navy's postgraduate school. He became a Navy research pilot and earned a PhD in aeronautics and astronautics from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He eventually attended the US Air Force Research Pilot School to become a test pilot, where he was work, working to graduate first in his class as a test pilot. He was also instructing astronauts in mathematics and navigation. In 1966, just 13 years after enlisting, he became a NASA astronaut. He was in the rotation for the Apollo missions 9 and 10. He was supposed to go up with the ill-fated Apollo 13, but it was during Apollo 14 that Edgar Mitchell was finally able to set foot on the moon's surface. While coming back to Earth, he finally had a moment taking the view to see Earth from outside changed the way he saw himself and humanity. In a 2016 interview with Vice, he called it powerful overview effect. From looking at Earth from space, you come up with the question, who are we? How did we get here? And where's all this going? And that's an ancient, ancient question that humans have asked for a long time. My experience was to realise that perhaps our science is wrong at answering these questions, and perhaps our religion, cosmology, are archaic and flawed. And given the now, we are an extraterrestrial civilization ourselves. We need to re-ask these questions and do a lot more work to find the answers. The once enlisted sailor who became the sixth human on the moon died in 2016, aged 85. So I think this was kind of a, a kind of obit for him. Yeah. But... His belief, you know, that there is stuff out there that they're not telling us was really strong. Well, all of the um, evidence that was presented at the press club, I can't remember the year. Yes. But from Missile Commanders. Yeah. We hear this again and again and again. We covered some of it in um, Aliens and Nukes episode. Yeah. I find it fascinating the amount of times when there was almost a demonstration that they had a power to be able to control these devices and there was the intrinsic sort of message of, you know, you, you aren't, you, you're not messing with something that you control here. Yeah, yeah. 
And I wonder where he got that from. He must have... Did he arrive at it through speaking to people? Was it his own conclusion? I wonder. Well, I think that what's interesting about him is his... You know, he was talking about this two years after he'd been stood on the moon. You know what I mean? It's not like it was, oh, on his deathbed, he kind of decided he'd talk about it. And he left NASA very suddenly. So something went on. Some people might say he had a mental episode, but... Yeah, well, I guess, you know, sceptics have said that about Cooper and Mitchell. Maybe they are kind of exceptions to the rule. Maybe space or other issues that distorted their minds when it comes to their views on UFOs. But, I mean, if we look at Mitchell... Here is a man who became a test pilot, then an astronaut, with all the secrecy and dedication that involves. I mean, many would regard him as an American hero. Suddenly quits NASA, tries to expose what he saw as the truth about UFOs. And I imagine for him, a man like that, with his background and the legacy, he wouldn't have taken that decision lightly. Do you know what I mean? No, no. I mean, he would have known that would have had consequences and, you know, ridicule and affect his credibility. I mean, yeah, maybe the sceptics are right about Cooper and Mitchell, but maybe they're not. And in that case, we have astronauts who seem to have access to important information about UFOs willing to risk everything to tell us their truth. Yeah. Which is incredible, right? It is. And I suppose... It's disappointing that there's there's no evidence, you know, there's no evidence, evidence. There's there's nothing you can hang your hat on. Yeah. But there never is. There never is. But do you, do you see what, you know, the stories are great and I think they they're, are. Re- they're really interesting. But you are left with that feeling of it's a strange environment and you're under a lot of stress and, you know, you could have seen something as simple as you know, a seal or a valve that was shining weirdly in the light and moving weirdly. But to have these astronauts come back and say, we know stuff went on and to be such a big force in ufology, I think is incredibly interesting. It is. I mean, disappointing that nobody speaks about, um, you know, alien moon bases or anything like that, but... I think they're all fanciful parts of our imagination developed from 1950s sci-fi, yeah, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's possible that those things play a part in what, you know, the, the guy's perception, uh, if they have sort of been affected by being in space. But again, I agree with you that they're very respected men of science. Why would they do that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess uh, I guess that cliche, whichever way you look at it, is probably right. They they say about astronauts, they come back, but they're never the same. <laughs> it's a bit like when you go to Milton Keynes <laughs> or IKEA. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a terrible, stressful journey <laughs> in terrible conditions, and then when you come back, you're changed forever. If you've ever queued going past Stonehenge on the road down to Exeter, <laughs> good Lord, that changes you. Well, um, yeah. Space, Very good. The final frontier. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke about that. Yeah, there is. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do it. No, that is fas- fascinating. Um, maybe... Maybe the guys who go to Mars will come back with more fanciful stories. 
Yeah, that'd be great. Well, this is the other thing I thought, because we've had this kind of unmanned thing going on, actually, over the next few years, we should get a whole new raft of these stories, whether they be true yeah. or not, right? Whether they be true kind of UFO or alien encounters. I mean, there's a lot of them out there from this time of humans in space, so there's going to be more. There really is going to be more. Yeah, yeah. Okay, brilliant. Um, speaking of the Moors... Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, that is a good segue. <laughs> hold hold on, I've just got to get my violin. Hold on. I've got to get my computer. Oh, uh, well, that's not the analogue world we were looking at. No, it? no, well, you get the violin, i got the computer. Right, okay, hold on. <laughs> I can't find anything that makes the noise of the violin. <laughs> doing that the radiator yeah, that's that, perfectly that, that's yeah, perfectly yeah. good yeah. well we're still working our well, way well lovely beautiful arm movements there thank you we're still working our way through the backlog of um messages you've sent us as you can hear i'm still i'm still not up to speed really yeah um i'm still Basically, I'm doing a bit of my actual job, then going back to bed for a bit every day. It's, it's um, yeah. So we got we've got we've got um, starting to work through the Sherlock Tulpa backlog. So if you don't hear your Tulpa story, we're not ignoring you. We just haven't got to it yet. And anyone who doesn't know, this is our mission to make Sherlock Holmes a real person through a Tulpa project. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I wanted to bring up, um, there's a listener, Cameron and his wife, they messaged us to say that they were, in. so they are paranormal investigators. They've actually kindly invited us to go on an investigation with them. So, yeah. Um, They were investigating Newsham Park Asylum in Liverpool, and when they got back to the hotel, they tried to get some sleep. About an hour later, Alison says, Cameron, who's that over there? As I looked where she was pointing, there was a figure of a man in a hat standing in the corner of the room. No. Yeah. And he says, well, he says the description of Sherlock Holmes sort of matches what we saw in that hotel room. Wow. And and I actually did message him back and I said, could it be the hat man? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. But but apparently not. He said it was much more Sherlockian than Hatmanian. And yeah. So it's that's a potential level one on the TQM Tolkien. It, Tulpa it scale. really, really that's is. almost manifestation. It is almost a manifestation. Now, I, I, I mean, I have questions like, um, if it was a ghost of like an actor playing Sherlock Holmes, that would be one oh, explanation. Um, if if the hotel they were in was a converted um, theatre. Oh, that's interesting. You know things like that, but I do. This think is harping back. Do you remember when we 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 talked about why do you always get um, Dick Turpin ghosts, and we wondered if there was a ghostly lookalike agency? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, probably because we've started doing the pos- podcast. That ghost lookalike agency has been <laughs> on the ghostly equivalent of the internet, saying wanted Sherlock Holmes ghosts. <laughs> Well, for full apparitions. This is why it's taken so long. For full apparitions, That's yes. why it's taken long. It's taken them a while to recruit them. That's amazing. They need, indeed. <laughs> yeah. I think they, they advertised on our show a couple of weeks ago. Did they? Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's how it happened. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for the money, indeed. But also, 
Um, very interesting, uh, Cameron. Thank you. That is that is the closest we've got to an apparition. Yeah, that's 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 we're getting into level one territory. Maybe maybe kind of in between level two and level one. So, wow. Keep those stories coming. And like I said, we know we've got a bit of a backlog, but we'll go through. But you know. Oh, we're it, it, it's progressing. That's good to hear. It is progressing now. I tried to carve a pumpkin into Sherlock Holmes. Oh, nice. Well, yes. No. It turns out that I have the same uh, craft skills that I had last time I tried craft, <laughs> which is when I was thirteen and at school. And so I was trying to do a man with a pipe, and maybe the earpieces from his hat. Yeah. It sort of looked like a spaniel that had been in a crash. So, um, well, we, 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 you know what was happening there? You were actually doing the Hand of the Baskerville. Oh yeah, of course. Ah, you, your hand had been taken <laughs> over. You'd, you, you'd been possessed by the Tolper who said, "No, I don't want to do Sherlock. I'll do the Hand of the Baskerville." The only terrifying thing about that hound would have been the vet's bill. I mean, it looked <laughs> really ill. It looked really, really poorly. And yeah. orange as well. And orange, yes, yes. Oh. Uh, no children that came past the house would have seen it because I was too embarrassed. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, that is a good, good Tolper. Um, we will get back to more of them um, thank you for listening thank you to all the Patreons if you want to join us on Patreon go to patreon.com forward slash Pod. get early access to the podcast without ads um, and you know we post other stuff up there as well so and thank you for all the Patreons already there um, we're, hopefully Ben you're going to be on continue your road to recovery and you'll be back with a great episode next week I will be back next week yes thank you cool we'll see you later see you later bye bye the quantum mechanics.